Hey, welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. This is your host, Jira Taylor. And today, we've got an awesome treat for you guys. Um, recently, as you might know, I've been diving deep into the study of breath, um, really the exploration of breathing, um, conscious breathing. Um, if you understand or look into many of the philosophies and wisdom traditions of the world, very soon you'll see that there's a common thread running through all of them, and this is the breath. It seems in our culture, the breath is kind of like slipped by unnoticed, uh, unconscious, uh, to the point where actually when you look around, there's a vast quantity of people around the world who are breathing in a dysfunctional way that has huge ramifications in terms of stress and anxiety and just general awesomeness. Um, So Dan Brule is uh, on the show today. Um, He's my breath teacher. I've decided to embark on a long-term immersion process, apprenticeship with him, um, because when you... When you, when you learn with a master, it, everything changes. It's, it's, it's a wonderful experience. Um, and Dan Brule is truly a modern-day master of the breath. Um, he's been teaching breath work for around 42 years. Um, he has explored breath work through many different um, dimensions uh, as, a, as a diver um, in the uh, Indian traditions, uh, in the Chinese Taoist traditions. Um, through rebirthing and uh, holotropic breathwork, a whole bunch of different types of breathwork. Dan, Dan's done it all when it comes to breathing. Um, and he teaches in a very non-dogmatic, um, passionate way, which basically gives his students the liberation to explore their own breath and to um, learn how to bring so much more consciousness into the breath, which has amazing ramifications for um, performance, uh, well-being, and just generally living a great life. So uh, please settle in um, to enjoy this podcast, and I guess the most fitting thing to do before we get going um, is to start with one deep, conscious breath. So on me, let's inhale. And one more thing, if you're a member of Flow Tribe, um, we're going to have a very special private session with Dan Brule. If you aren't a member of Flow Tribe and you, that sounds good, go to uh, flowtribe.co um, and uh, think about applying to become a member. Dan's going to be answering all of our questions um, and doing a very special uh, guided breath session with us all. Um, enjoy the podcast. See ya. Welcome to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Um, I'm here with Dan Brule, my one of my teachers of breath. Welcome, Dan. Hey, good to see you. Good to be here. Awesome. So just so we can, just so our viewers and listeners can kind of, kind of geolocate you, where, where are you right now? I am in uh, Montmartre in Paris. Uh, found a little Airbnb to hide out in a little cave for a week and uh, in, between, uh, in between teaching things. So um, I'm enjoying French food. <laughs> Beautiful. So yeah. the, the, the members of the community that, that I host, FlowTribe, are very familiar with you already because I've been talking nonstop about the training that, that I did with you um, a couple of weeks ago and telling them all about the Cosmic Yawn, which, which I don't know if you know, but I've named it the Cosmic Yawn. Uh, <laughs> there we go. I like there it. <laughs> um, so, but just in, in your words, if you could kind of explain like, uh, you know, what the, the the role 
you have found yourself playing in, in the world. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, I guess I'm just uh, somebody that the, the spirit of breath picked up by the scruff of my neck uh, many years ago and just been throwing me around the world. And it isn't something I ever remember deciding to do. Uh, looking back, it was, seems like the only thing I've ever done. So, you know, I'm, uh, I'm basically a lazy person with a grand vision. And uh, those two things come together. And so I figure, hey, uh, I have a friend, Leonard Orr, who said getting to heaven, most religions make getting to heaven so difficult, even God couldn't make it. <laughs> and uh, so for me, breath is, is, is a path. It's, a, it's become, it's a way for us to achieve all the great spiritual promises, uh, the, the heart's grand desire for awakening, illumination, uh, ascension, you know, all of the the great spiritual principles that I found that the breath is is the main key for uh, for fulfilling all of those. Well, it's an ancient dream, an evolutionary urge. And uh, and so I've just been a student of breath my entire life, as long as I can remember. And uh, students who stick with it sooner or later become teachers, whether they want to or not. So that's basically what I am. I'm a student and a teacher of breath. Um, I'm a firm believer that the most powerful things in life are always the most basic. They're always the most simple. And breathing fits that to a T. And for a lazy person, uh, if all we have to do is breathe and, uh, and get to all the things that the great masters and the saints and the warriors have been teasing us with and promising us and pointing to, then, hey, I'm, I'm all in. I'm, I'm all in on the breath. That's, a bit, that's about it. <laughs> mm, beautiful. Do you remember as a child having a, any sort of fascination or, or special connection with, with breath? You know, we did as kids, we did all the same stuff. All kids, we used to practice holding our breath. And, but I had, a, I had a genuine awakening, I could say, as a young child in relation to the breath. Uh, Catholic school and uh, one morning, I write about it in my book, on a Friday morning, the pastor of our church, St. Anthony's uh, Catholic Church in New Bedford, he came and visited all of the classes. We, I was in the first grade. And he, uh, he began, he talked about heaven, that was really nice. Talked about hell, that was pretty freaking scary. And, uh, and then he, he read from Genesis about how God took the dust of the earth and formed the body of man breathed into the nostrils of man, the breath of life, and man became a living soul. As a five-year-old kid, that was the most exciting thing I had ever heard. I couldn't imagine why everybody wasn't excited. You know, it's like, God, God is breathing into us. The, the next breath I take is God. And I don't know, I went into kind of a trance ecstatic state of some kind. I don't remember much about it, except I remember the nun and the priest trying to pushed me back into my chair. I guess I got a little too animated, but something sparked in that moment, something magical about the breath, something beyond uh, everyday kind of reality connected to breathing. And then everything I ever did, I had a couple of near drowning experiences. I kept getting the wind knocked out of me, playing football and fights, and it seemed like everything just kept sticking my nose in the breathing. And uh, 
And uh, I wanted to go into medicine, but I was too lazy for that. I, when I graduated high school, I couldn't imagine four more years of college and then four more years of medical school and then more on top of that. So I opted for a two-year x-ray technician program, which kind of got me in the door to the medical, satisfied that part. And one of the easiest x-rays that you can take is a chest x-ray. So all the students, me as a student, I got all the chest x-rays. And when you take a chest x-ray, you tell somebody, taking a deep breath, hold it, click, you take the picture. Turn them sideways and you do it again. And after I gave those simple instructions to people a few times, taking a deep breath and hold it, I started watching everything that they did, how they held their breath, what they called a deep breath, the muscles they used, the expression on their face. And I started realizing, wow, a, a person's relationship to their breath says a lot about their relationship to their body, to life, to everything. And so I was, I just deepened my fascination. And, um, and then from the, from x-ray, I, I went into the military. I was a deep sea diver. So I was, I was a medic and I was mixing gases and doing breath holding and, uh, working in a recompression chamber and listening to guys breathe from up top side. I could tell when they were stressing. I could tell when they were cruising. And so breath became kind of a language for me. And, um, after the military, it was India and China and, uh, Damn, if you if I heard that you knew anything about breathing, I was either kissing your feet or breathing down your neck <laughs> un until I learned whatever I could learn. And then I like a bee, I went on to the next flower and it's never stopped. I'm still I'm still uh, doing it. So did you So you obviously never had I'm fascinated by your curiosity, that that spirit of inquiry. Um, because I mean, for the for the average Joe who is relatively unconscious of their breath, just the, uh, the the exchange of gases seems to be enough for him. But yet, you just it was never enough. You just kept on having a, a a feeling that there was more to explore, and that's fascinating. Like, yeah, there was something. It's kind of like something ahead and above that's like pulling you. You know, not so much that you're, it wasn't so much that I was mm. on this journey exploring. I mean, I honestly, I, I feel like something's always been pulling me towards that. And, and sometimes I go kicking and screaming and sometimes I go singing and dancing, but something from beyond just reached out to me or, or, or broke through and, and has been calling me my whole life and the breath took on the role as my path, as my way of testing various spiritual theories, as my way of connecting to my own heart, connecting to other people, accessing intuition, uh, the flow state, group flow, um, mystical experiences, uh, extra energy when you didn't think you could take another step, um, uh, you know, a, a tool and a bridge and a force. And so, yeah, it's been a dance. It's been a real dance uh, with the, with a mystery in a way, you know, because I still don't I still don't know uh, what it's all about. Uh, but I, mm. I know things are constantly uh, revealing themselves. And the more people I teach, we is smarter than me. And so every time I teach someone and then I get feedback from them, 
you know, my own practice up levels. And um, so, yeah, it's a mission. It's an obsession, definitely. Mm, beautiful. So when you're in the military, I, you know, I've, I was fortunate enough to hear some of your stories of your military days before. Um, but the sort of the transition from a, a, a military person and I know that you're a rebel, so I, I don't I don't picture you as a you know the sort of guy who was making his bed better than everyone else. Um, but the transition from military to going traveling around uh, Asia to seek out um, enlightened masters, which I know that you you have done, is, is is a very interesting one. How did that come about? Yeah, well. Uh... No, actually, in the military, especially in boot camp, I, I liked being the guy who made his bed the best. And I, you know, I, there was something really cool about focusing in a Zen way on anything, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, but I didn't. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't cut out for the military. I. Um, you can't choose your friends, and uh, too many times I found myself on the side of somebody, and I thought fuck, man, you've been here for 20 years and you haven't learned anything? You know, how is that possible? (laughs) Um, But thank God a few, you know, a few people save it for the rest of them. I met some just stellar, amazing human beings when I was in the military. It was a nice place to visit, but I was never meant to live there. Uh, At the time, it was the Vietnam era and there was a lottery. My number was up. So rather than get drafted into the army, I basically joined the Navy. They promised me schools. And so education and learning and development, I mean, from early on, I knew that was something that was supposed to do forever. So it gave me a, you know, gave me an interesting place to learn more. And the learning just continued. I got out when I got out of the military, I, um, I took a year off to sit on the beach in Hawaii. And um, somebody dropped a book on my lap, the high, a handbook to higher consciousness and by Ken Keyes, and uh, he uh, was part of this. He had a center called the Living Love Center. He was down in Kentucky, and then they moved out to Oregon. Uh, Amazing, beautiful man. Had kind of put into Western language a lot of the Eastern spiritual, yogic, Buddhist teachings, and it just lit me up, and... um, and my next teacher was Ramdas, Richard Alpert, who wrote Be Here Now and Grist for the Mill. And, um, and I, I took TM, Transcendental Meditation. I started doing Vipassana, Buddhist meditation. So for me, it was a way to recover and find my feet after I got out of the military. Um, and one thing just led to the other. In India, you know, if you want to find people who... Uh, who were on the path, India seems like a no-brainer, and China, and studying with Taoists and yogis, so it just seemed a very natural path to take, and as soon as I was free from the military, uh, I was on it, and it, it's, it was almost, it was kind of seamless in a way, you know, it, it just made sense to me to kick back on the beach for a while, and, and, and kind of remember who I was before I went in, and remember what I was interested in before I spend five years doing what other people, you know, told me was important in that process of reconnecting to my heart, my own mission, my own spirit. India just came up on the radar and China. And so 
I uh, just picked up where I left off. And there were never any thoughts of, oh, I've got to, you know, get a real job or maybe I should be doing, you know, something oh, yeah. responsible. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm still I'm still tortured by those thoughts from time to time. <laughs> but I uh, I managed to uh, I managed to uh, uh, to go forward anyway. Yeah. I, I did break. Uh, there was a couple of year period when I uh, when I left Hawaii for the first year. Um, I was involved with OSHA, and I worked for the Red Cross and the Heart Association. I was training first aid instructors, um, and that was sort of a real job. Uh, but then, as soon as I, you know, I had ten years of educational benefits after the in the Vietnam era, we we got we got that package of benefits. So I I could afford to be a full time student uh, for quite a few years. Uh, because the VA, the Veterans uh, Administration, covered it. And when I was in the university, I was able to pursue, you know, transpersonal psychology, human development and learning. And my mentor, my my first and most favorite uh, professor in the university, Milton Young, introduced me to rebirthing. He said, hey, you're into breathing. You probably like this. <laughs> And um, I had uh, I had had so many remarkable experiences connected to the breath, and I was looking for a way to have other people have this experience. And so when I when I discovered rebirthing, I thought in my very first session, went holy crap, this is it. This is a this is a way that the average person or anyone can tap into their breath and start to get some of these benefits, spiritual benefits. And so I had a job. I, uh, at the time in 1976, I could charge 35 bucks or 50 bucks for a session. And um, you see uh, a dozen people a week. And so I was making a middle-class income from doing what I love, just uh, coaching, breathing, playing with the breath, sharing the mystery and the magic of the breath with people. And so it was kind of a job uh, as a rebirther, as, you know, as, as good as being a massage therapist or a counselor or a coach, a life coach. So, hey, I, a job just kind of formed itself around the breathing without any real effort on my part. Awesome. And so at, was it... At what stage did you go to India and uh, you know and, and have your experiences with Babaji? Was this sort of after you had learned with Leonard or rebirthing or before? Yeah, yeah. I started uh, rebirthing in 1976. In 1977, I pretty much started doing it full time. 1978, 79, I was studying with Leonard Orr, and he uh, he organized a trip to Europe and India in 1980. And it was pretty much required to become a certified rebirther that you travel and uh, assist him as an apprentice along the along his teaching tours. And India was a requirement. He thought that this breathing technique, rebirthing breathwork, had come from Babaji. And so meeting Babaji at the time was sort of part of our training to go and try to get to the source of this really powerful and magical breathing uh, technique. Can you explain so, to, to, to help the viewers understand the, the whole deal with Babaji? Because 
it's kind of, to, to the Western mind, it's kind of confusing. Yeah, it is. Well, if people have read Yogananda's book, Autobiography of a Yogi, he talks about his guru's guru's guru. And this Babaji is a phenomenon more than a person, uh, certainly more than a personality. You know, there are so many legends about him. Uh, I saw photographs of him from the mid-1800s. I There was an amazing court case about him that uh, his feet prints from the 1840s matched his feet print from 1970. And so because of that, those records, he was able to take over this temple in, uh, in Herakon, uh, and he went through the court system to do it. And in the court records, the judge asked him, how do you explain that your feet print, here, here you are, you look like a 21, 22-year-old young man, and yet your feet prints say that you were alive in the 1840s. How do you explain that? And he said, I mastered yoga and rejuvenate my body on a constant basis. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in India. He's, uh, you know, he's a, a, more than a yogi master. Um, the locals, you know, consider him to be a manifestation of Shiva. All of the miraculous things you hear about levitation and bilocation and, uh, you know, all of this kind of stuff is tagged on him, is tagged to him. So he's a very legendary figure. Mm. He seems to pop up and in and out at will. Um, so I was drawn to that, to those unbelievable kind of stories because I was being pulled by those kind of possibilities as a child. And, and he turned out to be my, uh, my guardian angel. <laughs> I, you know, I, as a as a kid in kindergarten and being introduced to this concept of a guardian angel, when I met him in the flesh, it was an instant recognition. Oh my God, this is this is who I, as a little child, was imagining and 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 talking to like an invisible, uh, you know, friend. And uh, here he was in the flesh. So he was a very good example for me of what's possible. You know, what's what's what are some of the outreaches of human potential? And and so for me, it was just a good, solid taste of of what humans are capable of. So. Mm. And so when you where does where does Babaji stand on the on the pantheon of like Indian avatar type characters like Sai Baba? And... He's a, a manifestation of Shiva. Okay. Up they don't consider, yeah, they don't consider him an avatar. Okay. He is, uh, okay. he's the creator and the destroyer, and and with every breath, that's exactly what's happening. We're creating and destroying. So, he was kind of a physical expression of that ancient Shiva principle. And what did Best he teach you? I, like, what what were you, yeah, what were you sort of doing when you were hanging out there? Um, you know, he said everything's already been taught. It's a matter of practice. It basically, his teachings was truth, simplicity, and love. To discover and express the truth of our being, not be hypnotized by the illusions or our personality or our ego or who we think we are or who we were told we could be, uh, but to actually focus on 
uncovering or discovering the, the, the ultimate truth of our being. And the simplicity, um, you know, he, that was a major teaching. He said, you know, things are going to be really complicated, too complicated for a child, then uh, be suspicious of it. And life is ultimately very, very simple. And the truth is always very, very simple. And so, and the other was um, love, you know, learning to come from your heart and learning to uh, feel your connection to everything and everyone and uh, live, live from it. So my best, my, the best learning, the best teachings I got from him was that everything that I had been taught um, by the Catholic Church that was true about God was actually true about us. We were talking about ourselves. When we talk about God and all these amazing abilities and powers, we're pointing to potentials that we have. We're pointing to who we really are. And so... And, and the way that we treat God and the way we relate to God is the way we need to relate to ourselves and to each other. And, and what was true about God, I can't even imagine. Uh, so I left with a very clear sense that, um, that things aren't as mystical as they seem to be. We're just, we're just missing something about ourselves and we're projecting it onto, you know, up there, well, the Buddha, Jesus, Mohammed, you know, they were great, but poor little me, who am I? He just blasted that mindset away out of me and forced me to at least accept or at least consider that everything I thought was true about God, that I was taught was true about God, is really true about me, about you, about us. Mm. And it's our job to grow into that. Mm. I don't, that's, how, how does that compute with, the the way that in Indian culture they put certain people on on pedestals if like everybody's God and how how does that kind of work? It's a self esteem issue. We just can't hand. What's that movie with Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson? You know, and the Marine. You, you can't, can't handle, handle the, the truth. truth. <laughs> and it's and it's so as we're just in the same way that when I get angry or when people get angry, we we want to project it out onto something or someone. And I think the same thing is true of our higher, higher abilities. They're just so big. They're so we try to project them out onto somebody. We can't own. We can't own the truth of our being, and it's more convenient and um, to just say, well, you know, God, Jesus, the Buddha, they were way up there, and we're way down here. And I don't know, maybe there's even a conspiracy to keep people locked into that, you know, a, a kind of a, an uncivilization at work somehow that's, that's encouraging us not to, to really step up and be all we can be and to settle for less and to think lowly of ourselves. Oh, mea culpa, I'm just a sinner. I don't know, that's become something that's glorified somehow, you know, it's who am I to think that I could be so great, you know, and who are you to think that you could be so great? It, there's just a lot of support for, for belittling ourselves and a lot of encouragement for projecting our highest uh, possibilities onto something out there. I, I, that's my yeah, best yeah, understanding. Yeah. 
Well, it's all it's it's this it's this thing we call the ego or the body mind system, isn't it? It's like yeah. the, the the less you know, the more in control that guy seems to be, um, the, the the more the more we, we we simply can't project our power because it's coming from that from that you know that lower place of lower consciousness. Um, that's yeah. what it feels like. Yeah. Um, well, for you know, for the first few years of our life. We're basically in a hypnotic trance. We have no discriminating consciousness. We have no rational cognitive functioning. And we're given programs that limit who we are. And most people never break free of those programs. And um, by the time we stop thinking for ourselves, we're already thinking with a mind that somebody else has has given us. And... um, so, yeah, it's uh, trying to get over the early conditioning and the limitations and uh, limited beliefs mm. and ideas about ourselves and what's possible. Mm. As long as you're carrying the burden of that, you, that you can never, never open up to what's possible. In the training that I did with you, 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 you talked about the, the ego, which you were calling the, the body-mind system. And you, you, you talked about it in a way that, that I hadn't heard anyone talk about it before in terms of because it's quite popular these days like you were talking about we have these invoke things like self-limitation but another one is like the ego is the enemy or the ego is something that we should try and kill or dismantle or whatever and you were talking about actually um creating a a a resonance or a bringing bringing the body-mind system into harmonization with nature itself um and I found that to be a very enchanting and, and practical way of looking at um, inner growth. Can you kind of expand on that? Um, yeah, we're, we're, I mean, the Eastern idea of destroying the ego, um, that's an old-fashioned idea. I don't know if you destroy the ego, uh, what have you got to work with in the world? I mean, uh, it's convenient social device that you know here i am with my separate view of the world and there you are so we have i mean we have we know we have a subconscious we know we have something like a collective unconscious and uh every cell in my body thinks it's an individual entity and and independent unto itself and and in a way it is every cell uh you know eats and excretes waste and communicates with other cells and moves about independently. But those cells are part of a bigger organ. And that organ thinks that it's a separate individual organ unto itself. And in a way it is. The heart is not the liver. The kidneys are not the gallbladder. But those organs are part of a bigger system. And that system is part of a bigger one. And I think that goes on forever. And so I think as we loosen up the grip that our limited perception has our ego has on us we begin to identify with something greater and uh you know plants are lucky they have roots trees have roots and so i they don't have a problem connecting to the earth and feeling at one with the earth we don't have any roots and so we have to do something consciously to really awaken that connection to the earth and the earth is part of a, you know, this huge spinning spiral, you know, uh, phenomenon. And so I think that's a part of, it's all a part of growth and it's a part of awakening. And it's part of what in the East they call enlightenment and 
self-realization is this expanding of our identity to include more and more than like was it Alan Watts who said skin encapsulated ego where we know we're we know we're more than than that we know I'm not my body I'm not my mind but how do you what's a practical way to discover who we really are and and to break free of the uh the uh illusion that I am my body that I am my mind and for me breath work gives people that taste you your borders dissolve if you're fortunate in a session and you you merge with this energy that uh, surrounds us and fills everyone else and it forces you to expand your your notion of who you are and what's possible and i i think that's evolution that's that's uh that's why we're here we're here to learn we're here to grow into into something more than we've been led to believe we are mm. i know when you were talking about dissolution of boundaries and form and things like that you, you triggered a memory of a of a lecture i listened to uh, from richard alpert ram das um and he was recounting the story of his first lsd experience after timothy leary had given him a tab and he was doing it in his like mum and dad's like lounge while they were sleeping upstairs <laughs> Um, and he was sitting on the couch and he experienced like the systematic dissolution of all the structures that formed his identity. First of all, it was his physical body just started to disappear in front of him. And then, you know, the, the, the construct, the ego, things like that just started to, to dissipate. Um, so, and I know that you were around in those days, so I'm sure that this was part of your, your journey to have such consciousness altering experiences. Um, did how did breath and and such experiences kind of like intertwine, if at all? Yeah, no. Um, you know, breathing gives people those same psychedelic altered states that mushrooms and ayahuasca and LSD and peyote and those ancient shamanic rituals and uh, trance dancing and so on. There's a humans seem to have this natural innate urge to transcend um, and and to seek out these non-ordinary states of consciousness. Um, and so for me, I, I had, I, you know, I did maybe too much LSD, I don't know, but I, I experimented the heck with it, loved it. And it uh, similar to, to Ramdas, I, I thought, yeah, th- I mean, this the experiences I was having was matching what somehow I felt was real or true beyond these limitations. So it was an out, it was a confirmation. It was a temporary way to open a door and get a glimpse into something, but it's not a sustainable model and it has too many negative, you know, side effects and downside to it. And so breathing became the, the next easiest way that through various breathing techniques you can unlock those same kinds of altered states non-ordinary states that people have been relying on on pharmaceuticals or plant medicines and so on to to do the breathing is uh, is a key to those same same uh, non-ordinary states mm. and is it like have you you know you've got 40 years of experience with 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 conscious breath work and um 
So, so have you reached levels equal to or even beyond anything that you've experienced on psychedelic um, substances through your breath? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like I've gotten all of the benefits of, you know, mushrooms and ayahuasca and LSD and peyote that I played with <clears throat> that I've, um, I've been able to prove to myself that, yeah, breathing takes us to those places or similar kind of places. Um, but it's also more than just the experience, you know, I mean, the experience should be fuel for us to probe deeper, not to, um, say, okay, well, this is, this is it. This is enough. You know, those things just make me more curious, you know, what, what else is possible and what's beyond this. And those other, you know, those substances can't take you beyond their own effects, and uh, so you're, you know, you're a victim of something, <laughs> or you're, you're, uh, uh, the effect is is not self-caused, and so it has limited benefit for me. You know, mm-hmm. um, breathing puts us in that position of power and creativity. And um, and we're not relying on something outside of ourselves. And so for me, it's far more appealing and comfortable. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, but, yeah, I, I I the last you know couple of years ago, I, I experimented with ayahuasca. Everybody had an amazing experience. And I thought, yeah, OK, this is yeah, I get this is familiar. Nothing, nothing, you know, like, wow. I've been here. This is cool. Yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I could see that where I've gone with the breath, I've covered that territory in a, in a way. You know, we, we cover that same territory with the breath and we can go, you know, further. Mm. Let's let's talk about intuition. And, and I'm, I'm very fascinated with this concept of, well, not concept, but wildness itself. And, and I and I have become increasingly conscious of all, all the ways that I am and other people around me are domesticated. And, uh, <laughs> and, and perfect timing as you unleash a wild yawn. Um, but, uh, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because the imprinting or the shackling begins early with things like language and things like don't yawn because that means that you're like not interested in what I'm saying and, you know, little subtle things like that. Um, what, yeah, what, it also what you means you're, yeah. It also means that you're surrendering to your own nature. And how dare you do that when the rest of us are involved in suppressing it and controlling it and uh, repressing it. Um, Yeah, when you surrender to the breath, some force comes and takes over. It's like you're walking in the forest and a wild horse picks you up and <laughs> throws you on its back and you're just holding on for dear life while it takes you for the ride of your life. Uh, there's something powerful about the breath and and something totally wild. And at some point, if you don't surrender to it, it's painful and it's exhausting. And uh, and so at some point, you have no choice but to just let go and let it take over. And when it does, you've just accessed uh, your nature. You've accessed uh, the spirit of life. And, uh, you know, intuition becomes it's you can 
you can check it. You have a way of, of actually checking your intuition. When, you're, when I'm breathing in harmony with my breath, when, I, when I'm choosing to breathe the way my body is asking me to breathe, I have made an intuitive connection to my own nature. And, um, and so it's, uh, it's checkable, you know, you, you can't cheat. You, 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 if I'm, if I'm lifting weights with my own force, I know how heavy it is. If something comes along and helps me lift it, there's an unarguable experience of ease and flow and effortlessness. And yeah, I'm still lifting the boxes, but something else has come in and is helping me. I've aligned with a force that is making life very much easier for me. And that, and that's intuition. Um, and so you, there's a way when you make this intuitive connection to the breath, you found a way to have an intuitive connection period in general. And it's unarguable. It's unmistakable that something starts to breathe you something starts to breathe me who we thought was doing the breathing takes a back seat and something is breathing us the breath itself is breathing us and that is a flow state that is an intuitive state where we're in it we we've 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 unlocked it with the with the breath and now it's a game okay now i know how to get there with the breath how can i use this felt sense of connection that I've had with the breath and how can I use it to make decisions and how can I use it to, um, uh, to take this intuitive connection to other areas. And so the breath for me has become that, that tool, that gauge, that way of, of checking, okay, should I do this? Mm. <sighs> okay. How did it feel to take that breath? Was that a yes breath or was that a no breath? And, um, where it's become a very direct way for me to check in on my intuition. Mm, okay, so that's an actual practice. Is is if when you're faced with a difficult decision, um, you have a a way of coming within yourself to to breathe and ask yourself. Oh yeah, if I'm if I'm heading in the wrong direction, it gets really hard to breathe. Mm. It's I there's there's a it's it takes more effort than what I, what I would like to put into it. It has a, a, a limit, like a ceiling on it. It has a, a heaviness to it. Um, I feel like I'm having to do all the work and it's, and it's difficult. And so when I'm disconnected from that, I, you know, I feel it. So, um, if I, if I'm trying to decide something, I'll, I'll back out of the decision process and I will get back into this, state of ease and flow and lightness and clarity and i use the breath to do that and then i'll relook at what i was deciding to do and maybe by then the decision's already been made uh, you know it's already happening mm. so yeah so i um and that's really become the most exciting part for me in breath work is okay so now we know that in somehow in our relationship to the breath we can access an intuitive knowing. Now, how do we how do we share that? How do we spread that? How do we how do we get other people to kind of figure that out or mm. or connect to it? Okay, beautiful. So the, the this I, I love this way that you taught us of uh, you said when nature breathes me, I breathe nature, something like that. Mm. 
Um, can you talk us through the, the, the concept or the philosophy here? Well, I, you know, for me as a kid, it started out with like, a, you know, something really silly from some people. That's hiccups. You know, everybody thinks hiccups are so damn funny. There was nothing funny about hiccups when I was a kid. It was freaking painful. My whole system was just heaving and locking up, and it was physically painful. And I, you know, I don't get what's so damn funny about hiccups. And so I, you know, I tried everything to cure hiccups and, you know, all the wives' tales and this and all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't until I was, uh, I was already into the military and uh, the Navy had loaned me out to train um, paramedics uh, to do, a, well, EMTs, emergency medical technician, all the state troopers in Maryland and Delaware was an 80-hour training that was part of their state police training. And I, I ran that 80 hours. And in that EMT uh, program, there was a, a module on, on respiration, on breathing. And uh, there were these little sidebar, interesting little facts that they had put in to make the course kind of interesting. And I found this, zeroed on this little thing on what is a hiccup? And whoa, what is a hiccup? I zeroed in on that. And so I got the definition of a hiccup as a spasm of the diaphragm followed by a sudden closing of the glottis. So usually when we, when we breathe, when, when the part of our brain that's controlling the diaphragm is in charge, that little flap of skin gets the message you know, it's a flap of skin that covers over the, the lungs when we swallow food. That little flap of skin gets the message and it opens up to allow air to come and go. But when you have a random spasm of the diaphragm, that little epiglottis doesn't get the message that breathing is happening. And so it slams shut. And so that's what a hiccup is. It's a spasm, a random spasm of the diaphragm, followed by that sudden closing of the glottis because... The wiring in the breathing isn't, you know, it's not following the normal route. So when I discovered that, I said, okay, so all I have to do is I have to consciously decide to take a breath in that moment when my diaphragm spasms. And sure enough, it took me a little practice, but my, instead of a, it became a, and so I managed to actually take in a breath at the moment that my diaphragm was spasming and I, that was in 1970. I haven't had more than one hiccup in, since 1970. If I have one hiccup, I catch the second one. So that's just a very practical way of like coming into alignment with what's happening in my system. And, and, and it's related to the breath. And so wh whenever we're in a psychological state, uh, our breathing pattern takes on certain qualities Every emotional state, every physiological state is driving our breathing patterns. And so when we become conscious of our breathing patterns and we consciously engage in a breathing pattern that matches what is required emotionally, psychologically, physiologically, well, there we are again. We've, we've, we've closed that gap between the ego, our, our thinking self, and our nature. So that thing with the hiccup was just the beginning for me. Okay, where else and how else, when it seems my system has taken over, how else can I come in and be a creative participant and not just a victim of this machine that I live in? 
And um, so, and that's what yogic practices are about. You know, I mean, all the yogis, how do we control our heart rate? How do we control our blood pressure? How do we control, uh, you know, the, the, the mental operations in our mind? And how, well, that's, that's breath work. <laughs> For me, it's breath work. Mm. I, I love this, like, this idea of the closing of the gap um, between nature and, and I think you said the machine or the, or the, or the body, um, mm -hmm. creating that harmony. It's such a, it, it's, it's, it's such a simple, non-fluffy, kind of non-spiritual but deeply spiritual way of looking at what the path is. You know? Yeah, because we're driven by our physiology. We're driven by our chemistry, sometimes in ways and at times when we wish we weren't. And so to have access and to be part of, have a creative voice in that, if I'm, if I'm taken over by anger, who knows what the hell I'm going to do? If I'm paralyzed by fear, who knows what the heck is going to happen? And so being able to hack into our nervous system, our chemistry, our, our mind-body system through the breath gives us choice in moments when, when we wouldn't think we have any choice, when we're just a victim of our whatever, you know? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So what's, this is a very random question, but it just popped into my consciousness. But what are your thoughts around... Um, well, first of all, do you believe that there are aliens out there, extraterrestrial life forms, and 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 if there are, what do you what do you think they're saying about what what's going on on Earth and the whole the whole human condition? They better have a sense of humor if they're out <laughs> there. I hope I hope they're compassionate. <laughs> you know, there's there's enough there's enough space and alien activities happening inside my own mind that I don't I don't need to go too much too much further. <laughs> maybe the astral world and all that stuff is the world of the mind. You know, maybe all these thoughts and theories about uh, you know infinite space and uh, aliens maybe that's we're just looking inside at at our own infinite nature. I I think everything anything is possible, right? I mean, I I'm um I a long time ago I realized, you know what? Uh it might sound weird, but how the hell do I know? And and uh, um, and if I need to know, I will. <laughs> and Absolutely. I and I can waste a lot of I can waste a lot of energy trying to know something that I don't need to know. If I really need to know something, I think when that moment comes, I'll know it. And if I'm trying to know it before I need to know it, it's a waste of energy. And if it's something I really don't need to know. It really is a waste of energy. I'm open to all that stuff. I, you know, anything is possible. I think we're projecting. You know, when I, I've had this conversation about, uh, you know, ch people who channel Ramtha and these uh, entities and they're taken over and a voice comes out of them and all this wisdom is spoken. Um, I think we've connected to a deeper part of ourselves. That's not a foreign entity. That's not an alien intelligence. We've somehow connected to something about us, but it just seems so different than who we are. We, we, we cop to that, putting it out on something else. Uh, you know, I, I agree. I agree. And a theory, you know, there's a lot of talk in ayahuasca circles around, 
um, entities and that there's a one theory that is is around looking at the parasites that exist within our gut because if you if you've ever looked at a parasite under a microscope they look freaking scary right yeah it's like like a, an ancient uh, you know prehistoric creatures and stuff yeah yeah so imagine if it's just a, a you know a level of awareness where we have an acute uh, sense of the microscopic stuff that's already within us you know yeah it's like you know when the mind the best thing the mind can do is say it's like this it's like that you know so when we have an experience that is beyond our understanding our mind does the best it can to come up with a metaphor for what it is that's happening and we we keep growing in our ability to create these metaphors and so you know we know now that earthquakes isn't god and thunder isn't you know, Apollo cursing the earth or whatever, you know, that AIDS isn't, uh, you know, God punishing gay people. And I mean, those <laughs> are, you know, we have these immature kind of understandings of stuff. And, you know, we're growing in our maturity and we keep up leveling our understanding. And so, yeah, I mean, maybe what we're seeing, you know, we have we have so much happening inside of us that we haven't observed that uh, whenever some weird thing happens, it doesn't occur to us that, hey, maybe this is maybe this is just part of me. It's part of who I am. And uh, we have a limited perception. If my consciousness is this big and I'm looking at something that this big, this thing looks this big. And so our job is to expand our consciousness and maybe arrive at a more mature understanding of, wow, of, of what's really a, what's out there and what's in here. Yeah, 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 I'm with you. Let's, um, let, let's, let's change tact and, and uh, use our, the, the final sort of the winter of the conversation to talk about how we can help um, the, you know, I say the average person, but the, let's, just, let's just say there's someone out there who hasn't embarked on any sort of conscious breathwork practice um, and, and they want to. They feel inspired to learn to breathe in a more conscious way so that they can align themselves with nature um, and receive all the benefits from, from that path. Now, where to start? Well, you know, we, we, we got to shift out of just relying on mind intelligence. We have to awaken body intelligence. We have to awaken heart intelligence. And with those full, full three intelligences working, we can show up more totally in life. So we, we become out of balance with our intellectual, philosophical, thinking mind. And it seems like that's the only access point we have to nature and life. So we need to drop into our body. We need to awaken our gut intelligence, our, our cellular intelligence. And we need to open our heart and 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 have start getting information that, that it all doesn't come through our thinking mind. Start to have some direct experiences and uh, in, increase our ability to to uh, connect with life in a more holistic way. So um, observe your breathing. Observe the physical sensations that occur when you breathe. Turn it into a ritual in the same way that you would take a shower or brush your teeth or prepare a meal or go to the gym every day. You put some time aside to simply feel the breath. 
the feelings and sensations that arise when the breath comes and the breath goes. It's meditation, meditative awareness, focusing on the felt sense, the feelings and sensations in the body. Start to awaken that kind of intelligence and not, you know, we're, we're numb to the trillions of cells in our body where everyone is a little, it's a, it's a combustion engine, it's a factory and we're, and we're buzzing with life and most people aren't feeling that buzzing, that, that electricity, that power, that activity. So we gotta, we have to focus on what's happening in our body as a, as a practice, as a meditative practice. And so observing the breath is a way to connect with our body, the physical sensations of the air coming into the nostrils and the movements of the chest and the movements of the abdomen with no agenda, just pure observation to awaken this other intelligence, this more consciousness, yeah? And so breath awareness as a ritual and observe your breathing every day for 10 or 20 minutes if you got that time in the morning and at night where you do nothing else except allow your attention to follow the breath. Get out of your head, get into your body, and focus on your breathing. That's going to begin to awaken some really beautiful and useful things, intuition, awareness, uh, which is really valuable. And then you want to take that practice into your everyday life. So how am I breathing when I'm stuck in traffic and I realize I'm gripping the steering wheel with this death grip and and take the practice of, of body awareness, you know, into how am I how am I sitting when I'm at my computer and what's happening in my shoulders when my boss is yelling at me and what's happening in my, the pit of my stomach when I'm having to have a difficult conversation with someone and just you know, bring some attention to what's happening in your body. There's a lot of information there that, that can help us to, uh, to get by in life and, and, and to grow. So observing your breath as a ritual, turning to your breath at different moments during the day, when you're under stress, when you're uh, locked up in confusion, when you're uncomfortable, develop the habit of turning to your breath and observing, oh, my God, I'm holding my breath. Maybe that's half of my problem right now. Maybe if I would just stop holding my breath, I would feel better. <laughs> totally. And tell tell us so, what happened with Tony Robbins. Like when you were, um, you know, you basically helped him just in a, in a very short space of time have a physical shift. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, he he's a good example of an extremely high performing individual, outrageously successful making an, an amazing difference in the world. I, I can't help but serve people like that. And, and he's wise enough and he knows that, you know, there are people out there who spent a lifetime studying something that he hasn't had the luxury of putting an entire life into it. And that was why he called me. And I, 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 I met his son. I work with his son. And I guess Jarek, uh, his son, told him, about me and Tony called me up and said, Hey, I heard you've been studying breathing for 40 years, man. I want to pick your brain. I want to, you know, let's meet, let's talk. I want to, I want to learn. And he's a student, he's a student of life. And, um, uh, so we'd started with Skype sessions and he's practicing breathing. He, he teaches breathing at a lot of his workshops. He's aware of breathing. He notices when he's 
intervening in somebody, processing. He can tell when they're holding their breath and holding back emotions. So he's conscious of his breathing, but he's had one or two approaches to breath his whole life, which he's used constantly. And so I come from left field and I say, hey, well, why don't we look at breathing from this side? And why don't you try breathing this way? And why don't you look at it from here? And boom, lights just started going off for him really, really fast. And so our first session, the first couple of sessions were Skype. And when I asked him to, you know, take some deep breaths and I could see the muscles in his temples and I could see in the muscles in his jaws working while he was breathing. And I said, shit, Tony, uh, temple muscles, jaw muscles, those, those muscles don't belong in the breathing. Why are you, you know, relax those muscles when you breathe? And it was like an aha for him because, you know, he's so passionate. He's, he throws himself totally into everything. And he was putting a lot more effort into breathing than was required. And as soon as he pulled away some of the accessory muscle use, he was relaxing his jaw, relaxing around his eyes, and taking in those deep breaths, he had an instant burst of energy that was, you know, for him, it was like, holy crap, this is, this is important stuff. And then he went on to lower his blood pressure by 15 points within a week. So he had, you know, he, he's, he's not my average student. This guy learns very fast and he translates what he learns into something he teaches immediately. When I went to his house, I was with him in, a, in his home in West Palm Beach and I pointed out some stuff about abdominal breathing and he pulled in his assistant and he pulled in his wife and he made what he learned. He taught them to them five minutes later. The guy, when he learns something, he has this obsession to pass it on. And uh, so I, I love working with him. And uh, he's and because he's done a lot of work on himself, I, just a little adjustment yeah. can 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 have a big payoff where, you know, the average person, I might, you know, we have to do some grinding work several sessions and he was able to just kind of like pop mm. very quickly with just a little bit. So mm. that's a lot Beautiful. of it is because of his own, his own. Of course. I saw, I saw in his, in his documentary, there's a scene where he's sitting by the pool preparing to go out to, to do his big presentation. And I think, <sighs> Something mm -hmm. like that he was doing, some sort of alignment of yeah. breath and physicality. Um, yeah. He's, he's, you know, he's, he's into that, you know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> full-on energy. And it's one of the things that we're, you know, we're, we're about. And it's not sustainable. When you're running on adrenaline, it's not sustainable. It, it's sustainable for 20, 30 years, 40 if you're lucky, maybe, 50 if you're extraordinary. But at some point, you, you, you know, we have to shift to genuine energy. We can't keep running on adrenalized energy. And he, he's had so much success. And, you know, I, I, if you've been to his events, you know, he, he'll talk for 15 minutes and then everybody gets up and they jump up and down and they get all their energy going again. And then they sit down and you digest some more information. And then 15, 20 minutes later, you're jumping up and down and singing and dancing. And so he's, he's learned to, to, you know, generate all this physical energy. Um, but as this conversation goes, it's not, 
it's sustainable. You know, it's uh, mm-hmm. and for me, breathing allows us to connect to that same energy without all the wear and tear on our system. Um, you know, if you look at all the things that are healthy, jogging and exercise, and if you look at little kids, they're always jumping, running, shouting. All these things make us breathe. And when I work with elderly people, they can't run and jog. They, they, you know, it's the, the metabolic demand is too great for their system. And so simply going directly to the breath gets all those benefits without the wear and tear on the system. Mm. Beautiful. Can you can you um, let's just let's just end with a with something very practical, like a like a practice. So let's just say that there's someone out there who's extremely anxious um, and overwhelmed in in their life situation. Work is just too much. Relationships are really stressing them out, and and they have that sense in their stomach where it's almost like on the verge of a panic attack. Um, how would you how would you um, talk to this person? Uh, you focus on your breathing, take your time on the inhale, pulling in energy, feeling the, the expansion, snap the exhale loose like a sigh of relief. (sighs) Let the tension go in your shoulders and in your neck, extend the exhale, lengthen the exhale, maybe through pursed lips (sighs) or a shushing sound or humming, any way that you can lengthen the exhale, slow the breathing down, open and expand, relax and let go, and you're bringing yourself back into uh, center alignment. You're leaning into the parasympathetic nervous system by extending the exhale. Do what I call a triangle breath. Inhale, exhale, and pause. Very consciously inhale. That takes your focus off whatever it is that's upsetting you. So you focus on the inhale. You let the exhale go. You physically relax while you're exhaling. So you're controlling the breath. It gives you a sense of being in control. At the same time, you're relaxing. You're releasing tension from your body. Those tense muscles are contributing to the anxiety, to the fear, to the upset. So you're releasing the breath at the same time you release the exhale. It's a sigh of relief. It's just exaggerated. It's enhanced sigh of relief. And then you rest in that pause after the exhale for a few seconds, a few moments, and just allow yourself to be open and still. Wait for the impulse to breathe in again. When that impulse to breathe in comes, cooperate with it. Open and expand to it. Take it a little further. You create this extra stretch, snap it loose, sigh of relief, drop down into your body. So inhale, exhale, pause. A few minutes, a few moments of that, and you're in a different state. You can feel it. You, you have more clarity. You're not as upset as you were. You've reconnected to your body. You've, you've, you've expanded your attention. You, You've gotten a, a handle on yourself and your physiology, and and you're you're ready to go. Mm. Thank you, thank you, Dan, so much for that. Um, one last thing. So we, I, I host a community. We're called Flow Tribe, and and it's a whole bunch of humans who are you know exploring the path that we both know so well. Um, it would be an honor if I could invite you to just uh, at some stage. Um, 
maybe do a guided breathing session or just answer some of the questions that they may have after listening to this podcast. Um, yeah. that, that would be a wonderful gift. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, I'd love it. You know, as, as Mark Devine, my Navy SEAL friend says, concepts get you nowhere. Training gets you everywhere. Yeah. And so it's, it's a practice. It's something we literally have to practice. Understanding is cool, but it's in the, it's in the actual training and practice where you get all the benefits. It's in the doing. It's in the doing. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dan. Um, thank okay. you for your time. Thank you, man. It's been a true pleasure, and um, I wish you the most beautiful flowing day in, in Paris. I hope you have some adventures today. <laughs> I will. Thank you. Take care. Take care. It was such an honor to chat with Dan on that podcast. It's, it's always beautiful like I, I'm constantly in awe and gratitude of the fact that that uh, through technology and just through the way life unfolds, um, we we have the capacity to to speak to people with such beautiful lineage. Like Dan has trained directly with Ram Das, um, Richard Alpert. He's um, had direct in, uh, interactions with Baba G, who's like this mystical, godlike figure over in India. Um, and to be able to learn from someone who's learned directly from people like that is a true blessing. Um, I hope you enjoyed uh, or felt inspired to explore your breath um, as something where that can really lead to such greater self-awareness. Really, it's this spiritual journey of, 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 of love, of realizing what we really are. And I think that's what this interview helped, helped me understand. Um, so please check out Dan's work. Uh, you basically have to go to uh, danbrule.com. Let me just check that out, actually. Um, actually, you've got to go to breathmastery.com. Com. Um, so that's www.breathmastery.com to see all of Dan's work. And if you want to be part of a community full of people who are embarking on practices such as conscious breath work, meditation, mindfulness, um, plant medicine exploration, um, just creative expression, all different ways, sleep states, lucid dreaming. Flow Tribe is a community where people are experimenting and exploring the, uh, their consciousness in so many different ways. Um, and if you're one of those people uh, looking for a tribe of fellow explorers to walk this subtle path that cuts against the grain of the mainstream, then join us. We're waiting for you. Flowtribe.co. Until next time, see ya. Stay in flow. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Flow State Performance Podcast. Check us out at www.flowstateperformance.com for more inspiration to unleash your potential.